so thankful to uh, be in a nice, warm place. Even the sun is shining through. It's a glorious fall day in Washington, and uh, we are where we need to be, which is with God's people in church together. If you're new, if this is your first time here, thanks for coming and uh, being here. My name's uh, Joe. I'm the pastor here, one of the pastors here, and just want to welcome you and uh, thank you for uh, being a part of the, the, the morning service together and our time of worship together. And uh, we take um, the morning and have a very simple morning. We, we read scripture together, we pray together, uh, we talk amongst one another and have fellowship with one another as we want to get to know those sitting around us. And we then uh, finish our time together, opening up God's word, which is really the highlight of our morning uh, in, in the Word of God, and we do that book by book, and we finished the book a couple, uh, a, week, uh, a couple of weeks ago in Second Peter, and I'm just kind of keeping you guys hanging as to what we are going to go into next. Uh, we had a couple of weeks of uh, spending time uh, talking about marriage. Uh, the last two weeks, if you, did not, uh, if you were not here for that, you can hop online and grab those two messages on, on our identity and purpose in marriage and the sufficiency of Scripture uh, in, or the sufficiency of Christ in marriage, and those are the last two weeks. And this morning, uh, I'm excited to jump into a new book because in those two weeks, I felt like a fish out of water a little bit, kind of flopping around the office, one of the world I'm supposed to be studying this week. Uh, I don't have to do that anymore, and I won't have to do that for a long time because we're going to study the book of Acts together. And um, I don't know how long it's going to take. Vegas has the line at 61 and a half sermons, um, so uh, you get to over. (laughs) I got an over on that. Yes, yeah, so you guys are catching on. Yeah, this is good. But uh, some of you um, uh, are going to be here for a long time with me uh, going through the book of Acts. It is not my goal to uh, spend five to ten years in the book of Acts. Let me just say that. Uh, but it's also not my goal just to fly over it. We will this morning fly over it. This will be the only time we fly over it. And then we'll jump in and we'll hit, hit it verse, verse by verse, section by section, chapter uh, by chapter together on uh, uh, through this book. And really, uh, having gone over it now a number of times, my heart is bursting in anticipation for the things that we get to learn uh, out of the book of Acts. It is truly a, a remarkable book together. There's 28 chapters uh, in this uh, amazing book, but what excites me the most about this uh, incredible book here is that it is so rich and so deep in so many different theologies. What we're going to find out in the book of Acts are things like this. They're going to find incredible stories, analogies, encouragements. We're going to see miracles. We're going to see the lame healed, the gospel advancing, the birth of the church, the work of the Holy Spirit, the preaching of God's word, martyrdom, imprisonment, shipwreck, a riot, a man eaten by worms. There's demons. There's sermons that cut to the heart, witnesses, evangelism, apologetics, pneumatology, soteriology, the doctrine of God, eschatology, ecclesiology, world missions, council, famine, tongues of fire, persecution, missionary journeys, discipleship, radical conversion of sinners, baptism. The book is filled with all kinds of goodness. So of course it's going to take us years to get through all of this. Each week you are going to be challenged in your knowledge of God, challenging your convictions, and each week you'll be reminded of your salvation in Jesus Christ. The book of Acts is truly an amazing book. I can't wait to jump in with you, and really I find it, just so you know, I find it a privilege and an honor to be able to each week study the Word of God and stand up here and present it to you, and I am truly excited 
to do this every week with you, to stand up here and say, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, because it will speak to your heart each and every week. So what we're going to do this morning, uh, as you're wondering how we're going to tackle this in uh, this book together, what we're going to do this morning is we are just going to give an introduction. We're going to fly high at 30,000 feet uh, together over the entire book. We want to get a kind of a working outline here of what we want to go through. Uh, and we're just going to travel our, our way through. And then in the weeks to come, we will jump down into, into a, a section-by-section section, study of it. And my hope is even that we would jump in this morning and get through verses 1 to 5 uh, together even this morning, as that's the prologue to the book. Uh, and it really sets the foundation for the direction that we're going to head. So let's do this. Let's just start by reading verses 1 to 5. No promises. We'll get through all of it. But let me just start there, uh, and then we will give a, an introduction, and then we'll jump back into these verses together and, um, and study the book. All right? You guys ready? All right, let's do it. Acts 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful that we get to open up the Word of God and to study books of the Bible. That's the way you gave it to us. You gave us a book with individual books in it. And we get to study those section by section, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And what a, uh, what a joy it is to do that. Lord, as we open up the book of Acts now and uh, as we dive into the truths that are there, Lord, we can't do it apart from the Spirit. In fact, the opening pages of the book of Acts is about the coming Holy Spirit that indwells believers, that it's better for us not to have Christ physically here with us. It's better for us to have the Holy Spirit within us. I'm sure that was hard for the apostles to understand as it oftentimes is hard for us to understand. But Lord, may that truth ring true in our lives. The Holy Spirit is within believers and empowers us to continue the work of the ministry that Jesus started. Impress these truths upon our hearts, and we look forward to all that we're going to learn this morning and in the, the weeks to come. In Jesus' name, amen. I guess a good place to start is with the author of the book, uh, this book is written by uh, Luke. Uh, Luke, uh, many don't realize this, is a Gentile. In fact, Luke is the only Gentile to write uh, any of the books of the Bible. Luke was a humble scholar. He was analytical. He was theological, and many of that is because he was a physician. He was a doctor by trade. Uh, Luke was not an apostle. Uh, Luke was not even really an eyewitness of the things that happened in Christ and the, the events that he wrote in the book of Luke, but he was an eyewitness to the things that happened in the book of Acts. Luke is mentioned only three times in our Bibles. Uh, some of the other places are in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and Colossians chapter 4. And the things that he writes here are, as I said, as an eyewitness to the events moving forward. 
Luke is not writing out of tradition. Uh, Luke is writing as someone who had multiple friends who were throughout this book, uh, that he would sit down with them and hear of the stories and events that were told, and he would pen these things out in this book. The book of Acts is really combined with the book of Luke. It's, a, a, it's really two-volume set that Luke wrote. Volume one is the, obviously the, the book of Luke, and volume two is the book of Acts. It says there in the opening line, Acts 1.1, it says, In the first book, that's the book of Luke, O Theophilus, I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. This, this is written to a man named Theophilus. We don't know a whole lot about Theophilus. He is a, a Roman Gentile, uh, possibly someone who, who Luke has, had led to the Lord. He was a close friend of Luke. Uh, he was writing this, this letter or this book to him, this two-part book to him, uh, potentially as a way to fill in the gaps of, of Theophilus' theology, uh, wanting to inform him about the wor- works of Jesus Christ and then the continued work of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts. This man's name is Theophilus, and what he wanted to show him was, as it says there in the first verse, is that I've dealt with things about the works of Christ in the book of Luke. Now I'm going to talk about the continued work of Christ through the apostles and through various believers. I said Luke is an eyewitnesses, white eyewitness to these accounts. In the book here, we learn that Luke was very close to the Apostle Paul. In fact, they had a a very close friendship where Luke was with him, and even with him potentially when he wrote different letters to uh, uh, the, the different churches, like the Ephesians church. The book of Luke and Acts takes up a combined, listen to this, 30% of our New Testament is written by Luke. We like to think this, that the Apostle Paul wrote most of the New Testament. No, actually Luke wrote 30%, 14% is that of the book of Acts. The book of Acts is written sometime between around 60 AD to 63 AD, and it covers 30 years. So the time of Jesus' death, just after the death at the ascension of Christ, and then 30 years beyond that. The book of Acts begins in Jerusalem. You can see that together even in in verse 4. It even talks about that. It starts into Jerusalem where Jesus ascends into heaven. When he ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers. The church is born. Missions explodes. The gospel is brought to bear on the hearts of, of many, many people. Thousands are converted. It starts there, and then 30 years later, it ends with the Apostle Paul in prison in Rome waiting his trial. There's lots of people that we're introduced to here in the book of Acts. A lot of the book, if it's broken down, is, is even talked about, is, is that of Peter. Now, we know a lot about Peter because we studied First and Second Peter together. Now we'll see some of the actions of Peter. Really in verses, or in chapters, I should say, 1 to 11, and there's some crossover in 9, 10, and 11, where we're introduced to the Apostle Paul. And then uh, really in 9, 10, 11, there's this transition, and then, then from that time on to the end of the book, you're talking about the Apostle Paul and his missionary journeys and the things that he encountered along the way. We get to see Stephen, we get to see James, we get to hear the story of Ananias and Sapphira, Simon the magician, Saul, it was Paul, Philip, Cornelius, Herod, Barnabas, Lydia, Rhoda, 
Dorcas. I don't know who her parents were, but uh, went ahead and went with Dorcas on that one. Uh, we get to see Priscilla, Timothy, Silas, Felix. I'm sure a lot of these names that you are familiar with are all people that we're going to encounter and we're going to study throughout this book. Geographically, the book is really all over the place. As I said, it starts in Jerusalem, moves to Judea and Samaria, moves to Cyprus, Lystra, uh, Antioch, Athens, Ephesus, Macedonia. We go to Malta, and then eventually we, we land after a shipwreck, we land in Rome. All over the map. The purpose is this. Why is the, the book of Acts written? Well, you can see it. If there's a, a purpose verse that, that we want to get to here, it's right there found in Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 gives us this, this purpose of the book, and it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The book of Acts is a transition book or a, a link book or a bridge book between the works of Jesus Christ and all that he had done, linking Christ and his work to the explosion of the gospel, the advancement of the gospel, the movement of the gospel. It all happens when the Holy Spirit comes upon the believers and, and out they go to go and share all that Christ has done, to share about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, to go out and be on mission for God. You remember, uh, after Jesus gave the great commission, if you will, there wasn't a whole lot of believers. You, a lot of us think like, oh, there's all these believers, thousands and thousands of believers. There wasn't thousands and thousands of believers at this time. There was a, a small group of believers even after Jesus had risen from the dead. And Jesus gives them the great commission. And he goes out and he tells them what they're to do. And even beforehand, he, we come back to this. And in many ways, this is a, another great commission command here in, in Acts 1.8, where Jesus tells them what they're going to do and how it's going to happen and when it's going to happen. And out of this comes the advancement of the gospel. Really, the greatest movement in all of Christendom happens right here in the book of Acts. As the gospel would spread. Let me give you an outline then based on that purpose here of, of what the book of Acts is all about. Uh, it starts out with this, and we see this in chapter 1, verse 1, all the way down to chapter 6 and verse 7, and that is that the gospel spreads in Jerusalem. In fact, turn with me at the end here because you've got to see these, these transition verses that happen in Acts 6-7. In Acts 6-7, it says this, And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. From there, then, the gospel spreads to Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. You can see this if you look over in this transition verse then, in, in chapter 9, in verse 31. It says this very thing. Just after the conversion of Saul, in, in 931, it says, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. So it spread now to Judea, Samaria, and Galilee. And then third, you see this, that the gospel spreads then to the Gentiles. You can see this transition verse in, in chapter 12 and verse 24. 
It says it real simply, but the word of God increased and multiplied. And so you see this theme of the gospel going into the region and then multiplying there. And then from there, the gospel spreads to what is now Turkey. In, uh, in, in, in Acts 19 and verse 20, we see this, this kind of transition verse again into other parts of, of the world. It says, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. And then finally, the gospel spreads from Jerusalem all the way out to Rome. And interestingly enough, the book ends in Rome with the Apostle Paul on trial. It says there in verse 30, he lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. This is a book about gospel movement. It is a book about people being empowered, men and women being empowered with the Holy Spirit. It is a, an incredible story of advancement. Along the way, you will notice this every time there is persecution within the birth of the new church. There is great advancement that comes after it. Satan wants to stop the gospel. Satan tries to hinder those and bring persecution upon those that want to advance the gospel. Satan would even send his demons to oppress those believers who wanted to spread the gospel. And we, we see this time and time again, demonic activity is happening. Why? Because Satan wants to stop the spread of the gospel. That's what is happening in this book. Men are empowered with the Holy Spirit. They, they go out and they, they preach the truth and Satan comes in with his demons to try to, to stop them, to oppress them, to hold them back. And we find out this, that the gospel is unstoppable. As faithful men and women would bring to bear all that Jesus had taught them. If you go back with me, back to the beginning, and I don't know what the title of your, your uh, Bible says at the top. Mine says this, the Acts of the Apostles. I just want to tell you, that's a little bit misleading. Uh, because it's not really the, the Acts of just the Apostles as if this book is about just the apostles. There's, there's far more here at play than, than just the apostles. In fact, I think a better title for uh, the book of Acts that goes beyond just the Acts or Acts uh, is that kind of has this idea of some heroic uh, mythical figure displaying their, their works that they had done. But, but really, I believe a, a better title is this, Acts of the Triune God Through Ordinary Men and Women. That, that's really what this book is, is about. This book is actually more about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit than it is about the people within it. Apart from the Holy Spirit, there is no book of Acts. And so this is actually more about the triune God. And I, I want to show you this, that, that even in, and I maybe you didn't pick up on this, even in verses 1 to 5, in the prologue, there is a mention of God the Father, God the Son, and the work of the Holy Spirit. This book is about the Trinity. Oftentimes, we, we think this, oh, it's the book of Acts, great. All we're going to talk about is the Holy Spirit. No, that's not all we're going to talk about. 
And we're going to talk about the, the things that God the Father did. In fact, I have a, a list up there uh, given to you guys of all the works of God the Father in the book of Acts. The Father acts, he speaks, he attests to Jesus, he raises Jesus from the dead, he anoints Jesus, appointed him to judge, he swore an oath to David, he's seated in the heavens, he's, he made Jesus Lord and Messiah, he calls people, deserves worship, is the God of the, Israel's ancestors, he's fill, filled what, uh, what he said he would, fulfilled what he said he would do in scriptures, he deserves obedience, he listens, he reveals, he orchestrates, he delivers he punishes, has power, he gave the Holy Spirit, is glorious, is gracious, is present, he is alive, he helps, he doesn't show favoritism, he appoints witnesses, he is to be feared, he performs miracles, he calls, he's created all things, commands, demands, repentance, deserves thanks, has a plan, establishes a church, and provides salvation. And so we got to get out of our minds that the book of Acts is only about the Holy Spirit. It's far more than just about the Holy Spirit. It's far more than just about Peter and Paul and, and all these characters that are in it. This book is about the triune God. I love how Leon Morris says it. He says this, one of the things Luke is making abundantly clear is that this is not to be regarded as just another human movement. We are not to think that some verbose Galileans managed to persuade people to throw in their, their lot with them. Rather, there was a divine act. God sent, his, God sent Jesus to be Savior. God sent the Holy Spirit to empower. We do not understand this movement unless we see that God is in it. All right, so do I have an issue with, with uh, the Acts of the Apostles? Yeah, I do. Can you feel it? Can you feel it? I got a little bit of an issue with that because it kind of sets up these people as these heroic people as if we can't do what they did. As if they're these people or these glorious men and women that are set aside and they get a special piece of the Bible as if we're not empowered with the same Holy Spirit. All right, so we got to understand that, that, yes, we're empowered with the same Holy Spirit. We're called to the same mission that these men and women were called to. And we carry the torch that they were given to by Christ and it's handed down to us as well. And so we need to understand this as this is the acts of the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, through ordinary men and women. You say, okay, what about the work of Christ? Well, the work of Christ starts with verse 1, all that Jesus began. The book starts with Jesus. The whole point of the gospel of Luke was the point people to Christ, and now the whole point of the book of Acts is to show his work is continually on display, that the work of Jesus is on display all through the book of Acts. In fact, everything in this book points back to the gospel. Without the gospel, there is no movement. Without the gospel, there is no conversion. And so a theme that runs through the book of Acts is salvation. People are continually getting saved as faithful men and women would present the gospel of Jesus Christ, people would then become saved. In fact, in this book, we see this. I want to show you just, just a couple of places where, where we highlight the work of Christ. Turn over to Acts 4, Acts 4, in verse 11. 
Peter before, or Peter and John are before this council of, of leadership. In fact, starting in verse 8, it says, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed to be done by a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel, here we go, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him... This man is standing before you well, verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Now verse 12, and there is salvation, what? In no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. What is Peter highlighting? He's highlighting the work of Jesus Christ, that there is only salvation in him. Turn over to Acts 16. I want to show you one more. Highlighting Christ and salvation in Christ. In Acts 16, you guys are familiar with the account of the the Philippian jailer where, where he is converted. This incredible thing happens in this, this prison cell. In verse 29, the jailer called for lights. He rushed in trembling with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas, and he brought them out, and he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Right? The question that we wish everyone would ask us when we're evangelizing them. Hey, would just ask me, like, hey, what must I do to be saved? Let's make this easy. Just ask me. All right, we don't want to get that, that, but they did. So here's their answer. To do what? Believe what? In the Lord Jesus Believe in Jesus, and you will be saved in you and your household. And so this book, the book of Acts, is about the work of Jesus Christ. It's about salvation, and and Luke represents Jesus as the giver of salvation. And so really, Jesus is the central figure of the book of Acts. Everything points back to Jesus. Sermons point back to Jesus. Salvation points back to Jesus. The reason you go on missionary journeys is because of Jesus. Jesus is not absent from the book of Acts. He's all over it. Third, we see this, the work of the Holy Spirit. With all that being said, I will say this, that the Holy Spirit dominates the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit dominates the book of Acts. He's first mentioned in Acts 1-2, mentioned 58 more times in the book of Acts with its final mention in a verse in Acts 28-25, the very end, the last mention of the Holy Spirit. Everything revolves around the work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is mentioned a num- number of times, even in the first vi- five verses, Verse 8 in in the purpose kind of verse in the book of Acts, it's the Holy Spirit will come upon you. At that point, they would be empowered to do the work of Christ. The Holy Spirit fills the believer, baptizes the believer, empowers the believer, gives direction to the church. There is no Acts of the Apostles without the Holy Spirit. Understanding the Holy Spirit is key and vital to understanding the book. And as we study the book of Acts, we study all that he is doing. We can't lose sight of this. And this is where people lose sight of the Holy Spirit when it comes to the book of Acts. 
We cannot lose sight of the fact that the work of the Holy Spirit always points us back to Jesus Christ. The work of the Holy Spirit isn't independent of the work of Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ isn't independent of the sovereign power of God the Father. What people like to do is kind of hijack the Holy Spirit and make him do all these great and wonderful things independent of the work of Jesus Christ. Highlighting the power of men, highlighting miracles, highlighting signs and all these things as if it's independent of the work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit only acts if it's going to point people back to Jesus Christ. And so we have to understand as we, as we go through and understand the work of the Holy Spirit uh, in this incredible book, is that we have to see, are these things descriptive of the church? Are these things descriptive of uh, the work of the apostles here? That is, uh, just describing what happened here, or is this prescriptive for how we are to act and behave, and is the work of the Holy Spirit the same? Right? So we're working between descriptive and prescriptive. Just describing an event or prescribing this for today. And people get kind of messed up a little bit when it comes to understanding the book of Acts. And we're going to carefully walk through to make sure that we understand, is he describing an event or is he prescribing something for the church today? The glossy look over your faces right now makes me go, we're going to spend a lot of time in the book of Acts to make sure we get this right. This is just an appetizer, okay? The, the key here is this. You got to come back. Right, you got to come back. You got to come back next week and the week after that and the week after that so we can work through these things together. Thirdly is I want you to see this. Not only God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but now the Word of God. The Word of God. The Word of God is mentioned 40 times in the book of Acts. It's mentioned as the Word of God 13 times, the Word of the Lord 10 times, just as the Word 13 times. The word of his grace two, two times, the word of salvation, and the word of the gospel. This is a common theme in the book. And it tells us this, that the triune God is at work in the book of Acts through the word of God. Through the word of God. It's through the word of God that people are saved. It's through the preaching of God's word that the church is born. It's through the word of God that the Bible and the gospel advances into all these different regions. One third of the book of Acts is filled with speeches and evangelistic messages, and all of those center around the word of God. A lot of people struggle these days with understanding how to grow the church. A lot of church, church growth movements have all kinds of books. In fact, if you wanted, if you had nothing to do on a Sunday afternoon and you wanted to know, hey, how do churches grow, and, and you Googled church growth movement, you would get hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of books on how to grow the church. The apostles had no problem growing the church. You want to know what their secret was? They preached the word. That's all they had. They didn't have fancy buildings. They didn't even have a band. Are you kidding me? They grew the church without a band? That's unheard of. Thousands were saved without a band? What is happening? This is all they had. They didn't have donuts? I don't know. How does the church survive without donuts? How does it grow without? They didn't have anything except the word of God. And when Peter stood up at Pentecost, he preached the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament was effective. Thousands were saved. So if we really want to know what's going to be effective to grow a church, all we need to do is study the book of Acts. All we need to do is open the Bible and explain and point people back to what? Point them back to Jesus. That is where the power is. Acts 6, 7 says this, the word of God spread and the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number and a large group of priests, a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Acts 12, 24, the word of God flourished and multiplied. Acts 19, 20, in this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. That's how the church grew. It grew simply by spirit-empowered men witnessing and preaching and teaching and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, we got a little bit of time here. Let's jump into the first verse. Let me just give you four, four words here that I want you to, to hang your thoughts on this week, all right? Four words. The first one is this. We've out of verse one. Continuation. Continuation. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach. He, Luke is saying this. In the first book, I dealt with the work of Jesus Christ, the death of Jesus Christ, the burial of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now what's going to happen here is the continuation of the work of Jesus Christ. And the continuation now of the work of Jesus Christ is going to be through the church. That's how the gospel is going to be spread. It's going to continue through the church. Jesus began the work, and the church continues the work. In fact, that word began has to do with someone taking initiative or taking action that is followed up by corresponding action. Jesus began the work. You say, well, wait a minute. I thought he said on the cross, it is finished, and he finished the work. Yes, in regards to salvation, he finished the work, but in regards to evangelism and in regards to the spreading of the word, he just began the work, and this is why he told his disciples, it's better for me to go up and not be with you because you will receive the Holy Spirit, and when you receive the Holy Spirit, you'll be able to continue the work, and greater things will you do than what I have done. And so this is about continuation. What Christ started, the church gets to continue and is privileged and blessed to continue. It sets the purpose of the church. It sets the purpose of the believer. We are here continuing the work that Jesus Christ started for us. Secondly is this. Let me give you the second word. Transition. Transition. Verse 2. Until the day when he was taken up, and after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. This is a book about transition. Transition from Jesus physically to now Jesus being within them spiritually. It's a book about empowerment. There is a transition that is happening here. This is why, if we remember all the way back into the, the, the upper room when, when the disciples were there and, and were told in, in the upper room and in, in John 14 that, that the disciples had troubled hearts, right? And they're, they're anxious. They're like, what's going on? And Jesus says, says to them, let not your hearts be troubled. And he goes off and he starts to tell them what? All, all that's going to happen and he's teaching them these things. And the one thing that's going to bring them the greatest comfort is this, the comforter. 
the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, that where he goes and they can't go and they ask, where are you going? Well, well, I'm going up to heaven and where I go, you can't go, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit and this transition is happening. When Jesus ascends into heaven, he's going to make them more powerful and he's going to make them more powerful through the work of the Holy Spirit. In fact, I just want to show you, show you one, one verse here in Acts 4.13 just to put this on display what this transition would, would look like. This should give us all great encouragement. In verse 13, it says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived them that they were what? Uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they had recognized that they had been with Jesus. These men, filled with the Holy Spirit, were just common, uneducated men. Can I just tell you something? That's super encouraging to me. I gotta tell you, man, there's times where I feel like I don't know anything. I don't know enough. Hey, but if common, uneducated men can be the ones that God uses to spread the gospel like none other, doesn't that give us all hope to say, hey, I've got the Holy Spirit. I can be a part of this great movement as well. In fact, in Acts 6, 17, 6, it says this, and when, when the outside world saw the faith of those new believers, they declared this, they turned the world upside down. This is a transition that's taking place. Third, let me give you another word, instruction. Verse 3, instruction. He presented himself alive to them, and after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. If the, these apostles, these disciples were going to go out and, and advance the kingdom of God, Jesus wanted to pour into them. And during these last 40 days, Jesus was constantly teaching them and preparing them to do this job, pouring into them day after day after day. In fact, uh, if you look back with me in Luke, in Luke 24, in verse 44, this is, where, this is even where Luke ended his, his gospel uh, in Luke 24. After, after coming and showing and displaying himself to all these people in Luke 24, in verse 44, he said to them, this is the disciples, there are, there are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened up their minds, it is, he opened up their minds to understand the scriptures. He's teaching them. And he said to them, thus it is written that Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things and behold, I am sending the promise of my father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. What is Jesus saying? He is now giving them more and more information, preparing them for the task that they would have, learning and growing. Great instruction happening here. 1 Corinthians 15, it talks more and more about these many proofs that were happening there, these 40 days of instruction that would be upon Jesus, and he's speaking to them about what? What does it say there? He's speaking to them about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? It's the kingdom of his son, Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about more about the kingdom of God next week. He's preparing them for this mission. And then last, the last word I want you to think about here is preparation. Preparation, verse 4 and 5. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, 
but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said to me, which he had said, you heard from me, from John, for John baptized with water, but you will baptize with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. He, he prepares them one final time. He gives them one instruction and he gives them one reminder. The one instruction is this, you need to wait. You need to wait. Now, I bet these disciples are, that were sitting there being instructed by Jesus for 40 days, my, my guess, I'm thinking about Peter, is he's ready to go. He's like, hey, let's go. Let's do this. Man, you promised all these things. Let's go. I, I'm ready. Let's take Jerusalem by storm. Let's go for it. And Jesus is like, nope. You just need to wait. You need to wait. And you need to wait specifically here because in not too many days, I give you the Holy Spirit. And when he comes upon you, here's Acts 1.8, that's when you will be my witnesses and you will go out. Then he gives them one reminder. The reminder is this, that the Holy Spirit will come upon them and he will baptize them. Meaning this, that the Holy Spirit will be immersed into their lives. He said, you have heard it from me. As I said over and over in John 14 and John 16, Jesus had said to them, I will not leave you as orphans, but I will give you my spirit. And the spirit would be the one to empower them to go forth and to spread the gospel to what would be the ends of the earth. Jesus even said this in John 14, 14 20, In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. And so they waited just a few more days when Jesus would ascend into heaven and the Holy Spirit would come upon them and they would be handed, as you were, the baton. And that baton would be handed to these men. And they would take that baton and with that baton, they would be persecuted. With that baton, some of them would be stoned and martyred and that baton would keep getting passed down from generation to generation. That baton would be bloodied. That baton would go through sacrifice. That baton would go from generation to generation through all the martyrs until that, that baton has been handed down. Church, it has been handed to you. You get to carry that baton. You Get to be my witnesses, Jesus says. What a privilege. What an honor. What a joy in every circumstance of life, Christian, that you go through. The highs and lows of life, your purpose remains the same. You are handed a bloody baton that says, go proclaim Jesus Christ to the world. Go out, church. Be a light. Go out. Be a witness for Jesus Christ. Empowered by the same spirit, given the same message, everything points back to the cross. And what a privilege it is that you and I in Seattle, in Bellevue, in the east side, that we get to go forth and be used by Jesus Christ to proclaim his name. What more do you want to do with your life, church? What greater privilege do you have than that one to be spent for the gospel? And so we're left there. Next week, we will see Jesus ascend into heaven. And we will go forth 
marching through the acts of the triune God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this incredible book. I'm excited. I'm really excited. I think I'm mostly excited about being reminded each week why we're here. Being reminded that there are men and women who have gone before us who boldly proclaimed Christ, who were martyred, stoned, beaten, and yet the gospel spread mightily. I'm thankful that I get to be reminded each week that Satan wants to stop the spread of the gospel that his demons are hard at work trying to discourage us and overwhelm us to get us to think that that neighbor could never, ever possibly understand the truth and we should never share the gospel with them. That they're hard at work trying to convince us that coworkers would never come to know Jesus Christ. And they're hard at work trying to discourage us from spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And this book reminds us that the gospel is unstoppable, that it is going to pierce hearts. It is going to transform lives. People are going to come to know Christ. And what a privilege it would be if he would use us to do that. What an honor it would be to be used of God in such a way that others come to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Motivate our hearts even today. Inspire within us. Fan the flame within us to be bold and courageous for the gospel of Jesus Christ is we're reminded that through persecution and through hardship is when the gospel advances the most. And we look to the power of the Holy Spirit within us to give us that courage. And we look to the word of God to be the means by which you use to see people come to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we study this book, that we would see many come to know Jesus Christ. Many to hear the gospel. And we entrust any result up to you. And we are just going to be faithful to what you called us to do. In Jesus' name, amen.